0: The word sustainable for me and my processes and the product line is, are these pieces maintainable? Are their resources gonna run out? Is the environmental impact it's having too detrimental to the environment that it isn't gonna be maintainable or reproducible? It is a very overwhelming amount of work to do to ensure that everything you're offering your clients has this level of environmental stewardship. Just do one part of it. You know, like just do a piece of it because that alone makes a difference.
1: Welcome to episode 79. I'm Brad Levitt and you're listening to the AFT Construction Podcast. On this week's episode, we're fortunate to host Lane McNabb of Lane McNabb Interiors. And Lane was fascinating. We've met offline and she does an amazing job about products that are sustainable. And what is sustainability? What does it mean? And you can go down these rabbit holes of information and where are products being sourced? You know, what's the impact on the environment? You know, what is timeless and so that we're not putting things in a landfill and the quality behind it. A lot of times we lose our customer base saying this is sustainable because they think about the price tag and only price. How can we market things for the quality and performance and then use the term sustainability as just another aspect to it, but not the primary. And Lane gave some very technical uh, knowledge as far as websites and resources and other ways to learn about the products that we're using and putting in our home so that we can leave healthy. So without further ado, here's our conversation, enjoy. Welcome today to T- Construction Podcast, and I'm Brad Levitt. and today we are fortunate to have Lane McNabb with us. Welcome, Lane.
0: Hi, Brad, thank you.
1: So Lane is joining us from Berkeley, from Northern California. She is an interior designer, owns her own firm out that way. And I love a lot of the things you're doing in the industry and especially when it comes to sustainability. So, you know, a lot of us hear this term sustainability. What does it mean? What is it? So in your opinion, especially in regard to design lane, you know, what is sustainable?
0: That's such a great question. I feel like uh, it's getting very overused in the industry without a lot of investigation as to what it means. I think there's concern that there is a level of greenwashing among a lot of products as well as practices.
1: So define that. Define what greenwash is for anyone listening that may not know what that is.
0: Well, when people use the word sustainable or environmentally friendly uh, as a marketing tool rather than
1: organic,
0: mm -hmm, yeah, rather than sort of an actual real process. Um, And I think that it's because there's no real I mean, there are many industry boards that offer regulation, but there's not some industry standard that is governing the processes around it. And so I think it's a little tricky to try and figure out what it really means.
1: And I, and I think that's tough for you and I, too, because I've, I've seen a lot of companies or brands or, as you're speaking to, maybe furnishings or different items that would go in the house that say, you know, we're sustainable or we're vegan or whatever, you know, in these. So this is a marketing tool form, but how do we really get down to the bottom of it to know if it really is sustainable, if it's healthy, low VOCs, other things?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think sustainable at its, its basic definition means maintainable. Um, Is this product, process around the product, um, resources used to make the product, are those things maintainable? And that's just a very basic level of, uh, of a way of assessing it. But there are many aspects around even just, say, one table that you would have to investigate at a very deep level to know, is that really a sustainable product? Uh, It goes down. I mean, now sustainable also applies to uh, good labor practices and things like that. So it's a very far reaching term. And the way to know about it is honestly requires a ton of homework and a lot of research and um, to know if what you're getting really is as it says it is. Now, there are a lot of industry um, certifications that things can get. And we can talk about that as the as we you know, talk here today, but um, basically the word sustainable for me and my processes and the product line is, are these pieces maintainable? And are the resources gonna run out? Are the, is the environmental impact it's having too detrimental to the environment that it isn't gonna be maintainable or reproducible. There's a book called Cradle to Cradle that I read um, couple years ago now, probably as I was starting to do the line. And the basic foundation of that is that we can transform the industry or any industry really by ensuring that the um, next life of a product or something is planned at its inception. And that's what we tried to do. I will say that we weren't attempting at the forefront to have sustainability be the, the main focus of the line, but it was such a, a principle of what we do anyway that it became, it just became a part of it. And I actually don't market it to uh, my clients and things like that as, you know, neon letters, this is sustainable. It's, um, something that we market to clients because of the quality and of the elegance and of the customization and I almost want the sustainability factor to be incidental to why they're buying it. I want it to be almost like not even they don't have to think about it.
1: That that yeah, that's interesting because so it's really not you know, I don't want to get down this rabbit hole of salesy or kind of a marketing ploy, but really what you're saying is I want the product to stand on its own. I want it to show you know, the the duration, the quality, the customization, and yeah, it is sustainable too. So that's, that's another benefit, but that's not the primary reason. And it's interesting because when you mentioned, speaking about as we look into products that we're putting into our home, well, if the plan from the beginning as they're designing this product that, let's look at the end life, right? Let's look at the duration. Well, it may be designed for a style today in 2021, but in 15 years, if the styles change, can we resurface that? Can we, you know, do a different finish or or use it somewhere else where it's almost like the heirlooms that a lot of our designers are seeking now to put in their designs, it'll stand the test of time.
0: Yeah, you really hit the nail on the head. That's totally what we were going for. Um, and that's a part of the line. It's a part of my aesthetic anyway. Um, I look back at things I designed 10, 12 more years ago and I still kind of like them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of, I think, you know, I don't do trendy, I don't do, um, of the moment. And I've always, I grew up in my grandparents' home and I was, they were collectors. They had antiques. Um, The house was old. My grandfather was an architect and um, he designed the home and a lot of the homes around the, where I grew up. And, and so I remember like that everything was unlacquered brass when that house got built. So everything, you know, those doorknobs had that beautiful natural patina. There wasn't like a layer of lacquer applied to it. And when, when my grandmother was having a party, she'd polish the doorknobs, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's that kind of, that's that sort of um, authenticity of material really speaks to me, whether it's done in a traditional way or a contemporary way, I think it adds longevity and it adds, um, it, it kind of adds a richness to the piece anyway. So we have solid wood, all, all of our pieces are solid wood construction. So to your point, they can be refinished. Um, the for the upholstered pieces it's solid wood frames and we can talk more about the materials involved but um but everything that we sourced besides the authenticity and the quality we then took it to the next level and said okay what where is this wood coming from where what is the source of this wood and how can we improve upon the practices that are going into making it and then in addition to that the finishes we chose I mean it's it we we really did a deep dive at every level to ensure that our standard offerings met a really high standard. Um, But I've found that not all clients kind of want to be hit over the head with that anyway. So, um, I don't want sustainability to, I don't want them to feel like I'm pushing it down their throats. It's just a part of what we do and I want it to be sort of like an added bonus.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's an emotional journey there, right? So a lot of the customers they're listening to or following Lane McNabb and your team and your products, you know, they're going to have this connection with you to say, Hey, she's doing something that I believe in that's important to me. And, and even as you mentioned, it may not be the key thing. Sustainability may not be the driver, but it's a part of it. And, but also the quality, because, you know, I, I think one of the issues a lot of us have is that a lot of the products now, as you mentioned, they could be built from engineer products. And so the challenge is, well, over time, you can't refinish those. You can't resurface those. And if you have real wood, you can. And I do like how there are a lot of design firms such as yourself that actually incorporate in their designs. They'll look at family heirlooms. They'll look at antiques and sometimes go antique in other parts of the country and then take these amazing, beautiful pieces, put them in their design to transition with even some of the new modern cabinetry. But then you could still have a timeless piece in there. And so you're designing around old and new and something that actually will stand the test of time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think antiques and vintage are probably the most affordable way to add sustainability into your design. Um, Otherwise I do think it is a bit of a process and and a bit of a commitment. And I'm sure that you're very aware of that in the building industry, um, getting some sort of lead certification or something like that does add a level of cost to what you're doing for us i think it's really been the investment up front and the um, time and mental energy that go into researching developing the processes and then holding our partners to that standard
1: well it's tough i mean i guess my question for you is as you think about it's it's one thing to design a quality product that's going to stand the test of time right whether it be on on my side from building a house and the construction techniques Building science, certain things we're doing with the envelope, right? To build this healthy home that's going to last and perform. You know, it, it's another thing when you're looking at the quality of the products. But when you go a further, you know, when I talk about navigate the mental capacity, or not capacity, but the mental energy, right? To now research and say, okay, well, where's this product coming from? How's it affecting the environment? You know, where is it being resourced and harvested? You know, these are whole other questions that really, I don't want to say complicate, but really can add challenge to what you're doing. So how do you, I don't want to say find the time, but how do you navigate through that to make sure that there are materials you're using that aren't impacting uh, the environment?
0: Yeah, that has been, um, it has been a long, a lot of time. I mean, I started out developing the line, creating custom pieces for clients that were um, designed because I was having a hard time finding what I wanted um, and the in the industry in the world and then that process around and 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 i think a lot of builders a lot of designers are real why people like why is that why is that like that we'd kind of trace it back all the way down to the as many steps back as we can and that's just what started leading me down the process when i was partnering with our woodworkers and our carpenters and our workrooms when knowledge about one step of the process would lead to a question about the next step. And so some of our partners were, from the get-go, had environmental standards as part of their practices, and some of them didn't. And we, we pressed them to um, include that as part of what they do for us. So um, a lot of it was... I would say two years ago is about when I started designing the line. And then it's taken about two years of pretty consistent, um, reaching up, maybe reaching a dead end and, and pivoting to a new, um, a new way of trying to explore to do something. But honestly, probably 10 years of learning about how things are made, peeking behind the manufacturing curtain, um, learning about textiles, learning about woodworking, learning about finishes, 10 plus years probably has gone into just the buildup of knowledge uh, to be able to finally create this.
1: Yeah, and it shows, I mean, it takes a lot of time, right? As you go through and research that and really understand, you know, the background of everything you're doing. And do do you get a lot of pushback from customers as far as pricing goes? Because I'd imagine that, you know, not everything, you know, especially with Amazon and, other online resources where they could say, hey, I could buy a similar furniture piece at this price or this one here. So there's a story and there are going to be some customers that get it, but how do you navigate that portion, you know, the budget side with your customer base?
0: Well, I think that's another reason why I don't come to the the conversation with sustainability as the main talking point, because that's, I mean, even with our most progressive and environmentally minded clients, when it comes down to budget or sustainability, it's kind of a hard argument to make when they really are out of money. Um, however, I do think that people are much more willing to invest in quality and uh, and pursue a piece because they love it or because it really, really will represent something that they'll have in their home for decades, if not longer than um Than it is to say do this because it's good for the environment so that is how we approach it initially is it's an investment in quality and then the again they're always really happy when it's sustainable too
1: yeah (laughs) well i do like the the position of quality because it it can be a difficult conversation just speaking about sustainability or energy efficiency you know very similar i mean i i relate it to what we do with you know as a builder we're doing energy efficient homes. You know, we're doing a net zero home. And, you know, some clients, you know, it, a lot of things come down to dollars. They shoot them, but they do. That's the reality of our of our world and our industry, right? So they may look and say, well, Brad, you know, I can do ICF. I can do these concrete walls. I can do solar power, but my electric bill is only going to be this much. How much am I really saving? What's the, you know, what what's the benefit? But, you know, so if you're just thinking a numbers game, it typically doesn't get anywhere. I mean, even if they know that it, there's, some sustainability to the environment that can help you know that typically even for our clients that are pretty progressive doesn't matter because they all have budgets as you mentioned but when you can say well if we do icf if we do concrete well you know the quality of your exterior walls when you think of sound when you think of dust and pollution and you know and you know particles that are coming in your house in the desert if you th- you know we have subterranean termites we have scorpions you know these are barriers that keep them from in your home well then that changes a little bit they may be willing to invest or speak about that and benefit with sustainability as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. It, it's the same conversation just with building that I have with furnishings. Yeah. I mean, I so, think in California, we have so many environmental standards to meet. As you know, trust
1: me, I know I, I live there. I know.
0: <laughs> and so that actually has taken a lot of the burden off of convincing people Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to that, but. But there, there don't exist those same standards around um, furnishings. And there are um, ways you can check standards. In fact, I just recently realized that Material Bank, for your design listeners, I mean, we've done a lot of uh, sample sourcing through Material Bank over the last year or so. And they have a whole section now that they have created of materials that meet California standards so that anyone can source through that just because it is a more environmentally responsible um, standard to meet things like that are popping up all over the place and it's it's great and you know American made is better than a lot of other places that something can be made and California made is better than a lot of other states so it just I mean California is a big fish in a, in a big pond so they can kind of force the industry to come on board a little bit because they do have such a big share of the market um, and that's what happened with lighting you know, we had the title 24 standards and eventually lighting manufacturers just all kind of got on board. So,
1: and you're seeing it now. Yeah. you are seeing now solar power I had, I had Mark on a while ago and going to be going to net zero, right? New builds here in a few years, they're all going to be going, I think it's actually a year and a half, if I'm not mistaken, but they're going to be going to net zero that it's a mandatory for new construction. And so you're seeing that benchmark, you know, that's really important that they're putting on there, but going back to the environmental side, I mean, you think about healthy living. You know, this is something I feel that our customers are asking for a lot more now, especially with COVID, right? You're locked at home. You know, what is the air quality? What is the water quality? What are the VOCs, the off-gassing, a lot of these things? So how have you seen moving this from the sustainability now to healthy living? You know, when you're using products that you know where they're coming from, the environment, you know, how they're being uh, manufactured, you know, and the finishes that are put on, as you mentioned in America, we're going to have a little bit more regulation than other parts of the world. So that off gassing hopefully is minimized to an extent. So how have you seen that affect your product line and especially the demand from your clients?
0: Well, I think that kind of gets back to your original question about what is sustainability, because there are so many different facets to each part of a piece besides the resources that are involved in making it, and then what about toxicity? Um, That's another big factor. Um, So there are some certifications that you can look for when sourcing a piece. It's almost getting down to each component of the piece. I think for uh, one thing that we were really concerned about, or I'm very concerned about, is toxicity around plastics and chemicals. And that was, we had three principles in designing the line. The first was quality, and then the second was um, environmental stewardship. And so, in in doing that, we looked at a lot of different finishes, and that is probably the wood finishes were the hardest ones to come up with because, I mean the. The most standard finish is like a polyurethane. And that's fine. One of my finishers calls that like shrink wrapping. (laughs) Basically shrink wrapping a piece of furniture when you polyurethane it. So our finishes are completely um, non-toxic. They're actually food safe. I mean, you could actually eat the finish. (laughs) Don't do that, but you could. Um, And uh, it's not only is it non-toxic, but it just has that beautiful old world feel to it. And it's completely plant-based. we we do offer a polyurethane if that's what people want, but um, I find this uh, plant based finish to actually be very maintainable and easy to use. Um, there are Green Guard certifications. That Green Guard is a certification you can look for when sourcing um, non toxic materials. I also look a lot to B Corps. So. Um, within the industry, B Corps kind of cover, any company that's a B Corp has been, has had almost every aspect of its uh, company researched for all kinds of stewardship, (laughs) not just environmental, but environmental being a big part of it. So a lot of those manufacturers, you can can kind of take the burden off of yourself of having to do the research if they're a B Corp. Um, FSC certification is always good for wood suppliers, wood sources. So then you know that it's been sustainably, it's come from a sustainable forest um, and it's been managed properly. And then there's something called EcoText certification. Ecotex is often for textiles and that manages toxicity. They can give you a standard for that. Um, I also love to look for local production. We love partnering with our local workrooms and um, partners because and not only do I know what goes into it, I can visit and sort of check and see how things are going. But then there's also the environmental impact of shipping and travel and and all of that that falls into play if you were um, sourcing internationally. I'll just say this right now, with lead times being what they are okay. around the world, a bonus has been for our clients that our lead times are great <laughs> compared to the rest of the industry right now. So.
1: Well, that's huge. I love that you brought that aspect up because, you know, when you think about local production, it's interesting. You know, I've had some clients that have really become a lot more savvy in regard to this where, um, and not to diminish other products that are out there, like in Europe, you know, they have some amazing products. For example, windows, some of the windows, some of the cabinetry designs, some other components there in Europe are very uh, advanced, right? And the technology is amazing. But we'll have clients say, look, Brad, here's the reality. I could buy this amazing triple-glaze window from a country in Europe. I won't throw them under the bus in case someone knows a window company. And they're great windows. I mean, phenomenal. But, you know, when you think about the impact to get that, the amount of cost to the environment to get that from a place in Europe over to Arizona, right, shipping and time frame and freight and, uh, you know, petroleum, I mean, everything that goes into it, right? They think about that, whereas they're all, hey, I have someone local, a local plant here in Mesa, That i could get my window package where a lot of the materials here local it's source local and it's a great window and so they think about that impact right because you start thinking about the travel and you know as you move these commodities around you know you have other impacts outside of just the product itself
0: yeah that's true um we also do a lot of customization so it's nice to be able to have our workrooms be local and um we do site visits to confirm what we're working on is made to our specifications, and we can do that for the designers who order through us. If we, if they're ordering a piece of, you know, one of our one of our uh, pieces, um, so that's really helpful and that's nice. Uh, and I also know the the practices that are going into the processes involved in making it, and um, and then it's great to be able to give business to local businesses.
1: Mm-hmm. small business are, are huge and local business is really important because that's what keeps you thriving as well as me you know so when, when you you mentioned a few certifications here that anyone listening should do some research on you know you talked about uh, B Corp you talked about FSC you talked about ecotex so are these do you have customers that are actually understanding these certifications and or is it mostly as designers and contractors we should be the stewards and look at where we're sourcing our product to make sure that they've been through these approvals?
0: That's a great question. Um, I know that I get overwhelmed, so I can't imagine trying to ask a client to do it. So we do provide that information, and I think that's another thing is that we have adopted it so much as a part of what we do, and then we have made it fully a part of what we do with the furniture line, but even for our design projects, you know, we have our preferred places we source. Um, I'm not like some green certified designer and that's not what I want to be, but, um, but I do have a decent amount of knowledge to know like what to look for. But um, I do think it's something that we have to do for our clients and our furniture line is trade only. And um, so it's, you know, we have clients who buy through us but they're our personal design clients. And then it's sold through Sloan Miyasato and the design center in San Francisco and and some in the Pacific Northwest too we have some representation but it really does unfortunately or maybe fortunately fall to the to the design lead
1: well this is good because there are a lot of designers and architects and builders that listen that I network with and you know I've been on some discussions with a lot of them on different platforms and one thing that I really enjoy about social media is that it's really connecting us in a different way and it's bringing more information You know, especially in construction, I feel like it's been such a slow market. I mean, it's like it takes forever for our industry to adopt and implement certain practices and install techniques and products, whereas other markets move very quickly. And and whether it's a complication of training or install, whatever, or even information that's, you know, moved around, you know, through these discussions, now all of us can walk away and, and be a little more targeted as far as the products we're putting in and understanding where they're coming from. And I love how you spoke about, you know, that even the finishes that you're putting on, I mean, you could eat it essentially, which even though you don't recommend it, but it is possible as was, you know, whereas if we're buying some cheap toys and, you know, I have little kids, you know, if they're chewing on them and it can harm them, you know, the chemicals in them. I mean, these are things that we're not thinking about because we're busy, but yet our kids are exposed to this in ways that were not the case, you know, many years ago.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think off gassing is a huge issue that we're not even fully we don't well, even, homes
1: are being built tighter. They're being built tighter, the more energy efficient. Now you have you're bringing in sofas and furniture and all these pieces, as you mentioned, off gassing. It can create a very unhealthy environment for each of our clients.
0: Yeah, that's true. And um, I think that we're starting to see like rising cancer rates. There, you know, they say like children are having hormonal disruptions um, to their bodies earlier. You know, going through puberty earlier than they used to because of all the chemicals that we. Have around us um, everywhere, not just through food, but through our homes, and and I don't think we're go- because there is no oversight body. It's going to have to be we we kind of push forward on our own, um, and sort of make these incremental changes. That if we if enough if it's a broad scale um, implementation of incremental change, it can actually have a make a huge impact. And I think we see it in other industries like. But the car manufacturers are now starting to say only electric cars by what 2030 or Mm -hmm. something. So I think we as as a populace are starting to really want it and we just have to have the industries push ahead. I don't think we're going to have um, I don't think it's ever going to be really governmentally dictated or whatever. So we just have to do it from within.
1: Yeah, we have to be good stewards ourselves, as you mentioned. So for those listening, what are other resources? I mean, you mentioned some of the certifications, you know, that we could look and do some research, but maybe for lack of a better term, the low-hanging fruit, are there resources or are there companies, you know, or information out there where we could quickly, you know, in addition to your product line, you know, find some of these products that are are better for our home?
0: Well, I think the good thing is that now even a, a lot of retail manufacturers have, an arm that is devoted to sustainable product. I think, you know, West Elm does now, and I think Crate and Barrel and places like that. Um, There are also retail manufacturers who have a focus on sustainability. Now, I don't know to what level that really means. Have they done the work that we've done as far as like down to where they're sourcing the wood and the finish that's going on? I don't know, but I know like the citizenry and... um, they have a lot of product that is sustainable, and maybe all of it is. At least it falls under the term sustainable. Um, there's avocado um, mattresses. There's um, uh, armadillo rugs. I know that they have a sustainability focus. Um, fireclay tile. We love fireclay tile, and they're, they're a B Corp. I think going to the B Corp website and looking, that's what we do from a pretty decent amount is sort of say like, okay, we're looking for this product and I'll say, well, let's check the B Corp site and you can do a search through their certified um, members and know that that member is meeting all the standards that are need- are needed to be met to truly be sustainable.
1: I love that. I love that you could go on the B Corp website and then just really look into it and see, okay, well, you know, are they already certified, you know, on this website? And so often there's materials, um, you know, that sound sustainable, but are actually more toxic, you know, than their upcycle counterparts. And so how do you decipher through that as a designer and, you know, with your own product line?
0: That's a great um, question. And we went through a um, big deep dive into researching that when it came down to the leather that we use on our, and it's actually on one piece. We have our, our Manta bed has uh, leather uh, upholstery on it. And um, I debated for a long time, do we want to do vegan leather or do we want to do authentic leather? And in researching it, I felt much better about using leather. We use leather that's a byproduct of the food industry. So it's just hides that are wouldn't, no animal is killed for its hide. It's just re- recycled after um, the animal has been killed for food and um There are many parts to um, getting leather. There are many processes involved in getting leather. But vegan leather often has a lot of plastic and chemicals in it. And the process that is used to make it is also harmful to the environment. And then the breakdown of the material that goes into vegan leather is um, very harmful for the environment as well.
1: See, I think that's a very interesting topic because most of us, just from conversation, you know, and especially as I meet with different Designers and architects and they speak about vegan leather, you know, I only design with vegan products. Well, as you mentioned in some cases, not all, you know, some and you probably have to look on a case by case basis, but you know, that vegan leather could actually be more harmful, not only to the individual or the end user, but also to the environment because of the processes behind it. Right. Whereas if you're looking at maybe more natural leather, well, because that's, you know, accessible and now we're not wasting that because it's already being consumed elsewhere. We can optimize that. And I don't want to use the word recycle, but use it in an eco-friendly way that's going to be healthier to us in the environment.
0: Yeah, that's right. I think I have a big concern with microplastics and uh, how they're just showing up in pretty much every resource that exists on the planet now. And I think that was a primary consideration for me, as well as um, the the guiding light for the, for the line was authenticity and quality. And when it comes down to it, leather is really where we wanted to go. And if someone's going to invest in a piece like this that they're going to keep for probably generations, honestly, then hands down, there was no, no question for me that authentic leather was the way to go. And we also researched where the leather was coming from so that um, it is coming from a sustainable source or as a byproduct of the meat industry. And then we also researched how it's being tanned. So uh, the tanning process is notoriously bad. But um, there's a group called the Leather Working Group, and they created a series of standards and they offer certification for tanneries that meet that meet those standards. And so the, the leather that we source is certified gold standard through the Leather Working Group.
1: It's funny how, how, as you mentioned, I mean, you know, this can go, it's so complex because even if you're getting leather from a reliable source, you know, to go see the tanning, uh, you know, as they're working through that, I mean, there could be other chemicals and items that are being put into leather, but now are you're, you're backwards again, you know, this is where it's starting to complicate that. And that's why it's really important that we have someone such as yourself, Lynn, looking into this for us.
0: It's true. I mean, it really is. One question leads to another leads to another. And, um, it's it's the other part for me is that I want to continue to refine and improve our processes. So when we first started the line, I was using um, FSC certified wood, and we offer our pieces in white oak and walnut. And then I started purchasing um, recycled white oak to use in the line. And then I got this connection with a local woodworker, and he and I purchased a an. A, Basically, we purchased the uh, or an orchard, a walnut orchard that was at the end of its life cycle. We purchased the trunks that were just u- going to be used for um, chipping. And so we bought up all those trunks. And then we have, we're currently having that. It's actually English walnut. We're having it solar kiln dried. So that's another thing. Um, in, in you know, all of the wood, you don't just cut down a tree and then just start it all has to be dried and so kilns Mm -hmm. are incredibly um, bad for the environment as well so there's so many steps in every process a lot of
1: energy too
0: yeah a lot of energy and so um i am just like constantly trying to refine and improve so we have a standard we're meeting right now but i want to get better and um and continue to have more options for us i mean we're refining our finishes again right now we had a standard finish offering we're working with it because we want it to be beautiful as well as sustainable. So we're um, working with our partners. We've uh, connected with a a Northern California finisher who's going to do all of the finishing for our products. And um, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's an exhaustive uh, amount of energy, but it's, it, it's important. And I feel like it's, it's important to me to make it a part of the line. And I think it improves not only the sustainability environmental impact, but it improves the quality of what we're offering. It's hard until you see it. You know, there's such a difference between touching something that has a polyurethane finish and something that has what we are offering as our finish. It's just, you feel, you can just sense the difference and the story behind it more.
1: Well, it's interesting because, I mean, instead of the sustainability sales pitch, you know, the quality, I'm I'm sure your clients, as you give them a sample or they're seeing that, or a lot of us have felt furniture, right, with the polyurethane finish, and then they have yours, well, now it's a stark difference. They can see, they can feel, they can touch, and those senses come in to realization where they're like, yeah, now this makes sense, the quality behind it, it's not just the price, it's not just the environmental side, but this piece speaks to me and here's why.
0: Yeah, and I think to your other point that because it is a very overwhelming amount of work to do to ensure that everything you're offering your clients has this level of environmental stewardship, just do one part of it. You know, like just do a piece of it because that alone makes a difference. So that's why we also offer customization. And if if a client or if a designer comes to us and says their client really wants this custom finish and it isn't what we offer, we'll do it because we want the client to love what they're getting because that's another reason they're never gonna put it in a landfill. So there are many aspects to making something um, more beneficial to the environment than it could have been otherwise.
1: Well, designing something with purpose that's going to stand for generations, you know, thinking about that, as you mentioned, with the bed or, you know, a dresser, an end table, whatever it may be, you know, you think of the landfill. Well, that's an important part. And, and something I want to come back to is you mentioned the term microplastics, you know, the concern with microplastics. And so for those listening that may not know what that is or have heard that term, you know, define microplastics.
0: Well, micro, microplastics are the microscopic plastic particles that are created when plastics break down and they've been found in the deepest parts of the ocean that we can get to, rivers, streams, they're found in fish that we eat, Um, they're even found I think in um, like the meat industry now because um, you know chickens and cows and everything are ingesting them. I'm sure we're full of them (laughs) because they're just everywhere and um, it's it takes so many years for plastics to break down. And I don't know if those microplastics actually ever fully break. I mean, they must at some point, but when they do, they're very toxic. And I think that a lot of research indicates that microplastics are responsible for um, an increase in cancer rates.
1: Oh, that's a great definition because, you know, this goes back to, I, you know, education too, learning this in school about the plastics, how tough they are to break down, you know, they're not as, uh, They don't decompose the same way as other natural products. And so as they come down to, you know, as they break down into minor microscopic levels, well, it's still, as you mentioned, it gets in food, it gets in our environment, uh, in our systems, our ecosystem, and it can create many challenges for us physically, uh, you know, us as people and also everyone else is living here on this planet.
0: I think it's just so hard to get rid of. So I think if we can just pivot away from plastics as much as we can, I think we'll all be better off.
1: This episode is brought to you by Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove. For over 75 years, Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our client's dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist. Key features included fresher, longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy to use technology. Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your near Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. So how, from a design perspective, you know, you've really done a great job, Lane, of going, you know, looking at products and the health of them for not only the customer and end client, but also us as a community. So do you ever get pushback from the architects you work with, the builders you work with? Are they having these same discussions or how do you ed- educate them in your network you know, as you're working on a project for a client?
0: Architects and builders are usually quite lovely to work with. I think they all want to do, I mean, I'm, the ones we partner with want to do the best they can. Um, also, I think because a lot of our projects are in the Bay Area and even majority of them are in Berkeley right now. There's just so much that there's the, the standards are so high that builders are held to here that I don't have to do anything, <laughs> you know, the city does it for us. I mean, we have to, there's like green recycling standards when they're doing demo. There's, I mean, there's so many standards across the board that have to be met. Um, so that's really nice.
1: Which is good. And do they ever participate? You know, when they're looking at maybe the paint products, picking low VOC. You know, is that a common thing, or do you involved also with the finishes? You know, those selections for the uh, contractor.
0: Yeah, I mean, we specify no or low VOC, and um, if the price is not something the client wants, then we just make sure that they're informed. Um, and and the price comes. You know, that's the client's choice to make at the end of the day, but. Uh, typically we do specify no and low VOC and most contractors prefer it anyway.
1: Yeah, it's a lot easier for them as they're working in the home, right? You know, throughout construction. So what's interesting to me, Lane, too, is, you know, it's we, we base a lot of this conversation on sustainability, which is super important and you've shared so many valuable insights. And there's a lot of education that, you you know, and time you spent, you know, to be familiar with all of the different products and, and you know, websites and, re, you know, you know, resources out there for us to, to use. But now here you are running your own business, right? It's not like you were born an interior designer, you had another career, you know, you even went to school and uh, for the arts and sang in the opera, I believe. And then here you are now with a design firm, starting a design firm. And so how is that, you know, starting a company, trying to understand pricing, trying to understand the clients, your contracts, you know, building clientele, that's a lot of work. And I'm always, interested in that entrepreneur side of each of our guests.
0: Yeah. Well, as far as the furniture line goes, that's definitely started as a passion project and it's only just now becoming profitable after two years of training,
1: (laughs) which is still pretty good. It takes time to make each of our ventures profitable, no doubt.
0: Right. Yeah. But starting my own interior design firm, um, I mean honestly if I'd known when I was starting it what I know now I would have been probably way too scared to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but I didn't know and I I'm a big believer in just sort of just see the next step and then do the next step and then do the next step and so that's kind of how it happened. I mean I have always I grew up in a family of either architects or I mean my contractors um and um people who cared about the home they lived in and then the environment they were creating for themselves. And so that has always been a part of my life. Um, But I definitely did not know this is where I was going to end up. It, I think that for me, the thing that always lights my fire is the entrepreneurship aspect. I love interior design. I think it's, I care very much about it and each project we do is, is like a little baby and I want to make it the best it can be. And but I actually love running my own business, even though it's a struggle and it's hard work, um, but I find that aspect very rewarding. And um, I see the furniture line as just another part of, of that journey.
1: Which is good. I mean, you think most companies are successful. They're able to diversify, right? Interior design is a need that uh, most of our clients have and want. And uh, you know, when you think about just another aspect, as the economy can change, which it does, and demand could change, well, having another option there and versatility, and it also complements your business too. It's not just a separate venture. There's, you know, a lot of crossover between the two.
0: Yeah, that's true. And that was a big part of it too, As I did want some diversification within my firm. Um, not only for the business side and the financial stability, but also just for the fulfillment. I love designing furniture. I, I didn't know I did when I first started out, but then needs arise and you you fill those needs for clients and then you realize, oh, I like this and this is, I, I could do this and how about this? And, and then the decade plus of owning my own firm, um, creating and developing so many partnerships with artisans, it just felt like a very natural pivot. And, um, and then having quality and sustainability be a part of what we try to do, it was a great uh, another great way to incorporate that.
1: So when was the time to make your first hire? Cause I know you have a team now and so I would imagine at the beginning, you know, you're not starting with three or four designers. It's going to be you, you know, building the company. So when did you make that jump and how do you know the time was right to bring someone on?
0: So I would never have made my first hire if a consultant hadn't told me to do it. And I'm so glad she did.
1: <laughs> so when a consultant was this a business coach or somebody you network with?
0: Yeah, it was Julia Malloy. Um, from Malloy Management, and she uh, has a business, I think she's in Portland. And um, I heard about her very early on. I can't remember how, but um, through someone else in the industry. And I probably started working with her maybe close to 10 years ago. Um, I don't currently work with her, but I worked with her for a while. And um, when I first realized I was going to start doing this as a career, because it was it was one of those things where it was just kind of happening. I wasn't intentionally leading it. I had done a couple of as many interior designers out there. I had done a couple of projects for people and then they started getting attention and then more people were calling and I was like, wow, is this happening? So I wanted to get in front of it. So I hired Julia and um, it, like you said, I had no business background. I had no in real interior design background. I had worked for a time with um, a builder here uh, helping, bring in clients and then overseeing some of their projects just cause I loved doing it. And I did get paid, but it wasn't like, it wasn't great. really, yeah. I was more of like, I was getting an education than I was really having a business. And, um, and so I hired Julia and she gave me a couple of great pieces of advice. One was, um, the biggest indicator of whether or not you'll be successful in this business has nothing to do with your talent your experience, your education, but it's whether or not you have a high EQ. And I was like, oh, I'm really good at that. <laughs> of all the things you just said, that's I, I got that one. And so that gave me a lot of courage to move forward. And then the second thing she said you, was you need to hire someone. So um, I hired my office manager. It wasn't even a design assistant or another designer or anything like that. It was an office manager, um, sort of like admin probably about a year or two into my business. And that was definitely the right thing to do. And now we're an eight person firm and um, it's it definitely, you have to hire early on. I mean, you, do, you wanna hire smart, but I think you'll get burned out and you'll be overwhelmed and you won't be able to have a, a business that actually fulfills you or makes money if
1: you don't have help. Yeah, you definitely need help. And and I'm curious now because there is a lot of truth to that. I believe in that you need to have high IQ, you know, emotional intelligence, as far as, you know, as a business owner, be successful in our industry. Now, did she go down that a little bit more in detail on, on what that meant for you or how that was defined? You know, the emotional intelligence, or was it just like be emotionally intelligent and hire somebody?
0: I mean, I think I kind of knew what she meant, and I think it was just being able to navigate relationships and talk to people. I think the thing I didn't understand at the time that's become more apparent is uh, the critical thinking aspect that's involved with emotional intelligence. And I think as long as you are someone who can solve problems and feel confident in your ability to do that, then you don't have to know everything when you start.
1: I love that you share that because I, I look at my experience, it's funny, when I was in high school, you know, in sports, one of the coach, I remember him telling me, it's like, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and you know the value of that relationship, right? And you hear that, and you know, I heard that young as a teenager, I didn't really understand what that meant, but I understand that now. And, and it's not so much like a status thing, I've come to realize at this point in my career, you know, when you think about that relationships, that emotional intelligence, as you mentioned, critical thinking, you know, for me, this is a relationship industry. So I am at the mercy of my suppliers. I'm at the mercy of my designers and architects and engineers and installers, right? My trade partners. And so if I've built, uh, you know, reputation with them, if I have built some uh, credibility with them and there's a relationship as I need things or we have to have things done in a busy market like we are now, they're going to perform and they're going to pick up the phone and they're going to answer because you know i've been putting deposits into that emotional bank account and it's interesting how you just don't realize that and and one of the challenges i shouldn't say the challenge but one of the continual things that we teach our team and and my staff and is that as you mentioned Lane, is the critical thinking like things are going to come up every day you know from design to architecture and then as we come to install it it may not line up it may you know how do we work through this process how do we critically think how do we problem solve i mean What our job is as managers is to take every challenge and create as an opportunity to succeed. And as we have that mentality, as you mentioned, yeah, you don't have to be super talented. You don't have to be super educated. You have to understand how to think in the moment and work with the tools around you and network and have those relationships of someone to reach out to that may know more.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think it takes time too, to build those relationships. But if you can make those relationships reciprocal from the very beginning, that even the new relationships will support you and sustain you. And um, I think it's important to come to every meeting or every, if you have an ask for someone to come to that meeting with, and also what, how can I help you? Um, That's always, if you have that in the back of your mind, when you're moving through a process or a project then uh, those relationships will last for years and years and years.
1: I think that's such good advice. I mean, to to change the mentality lane as you're going into a meeting just with how can I be of service? How can I help? How can I assist? Instead of, you know, put the ego aside. I know a lot of times with our designers, we may be at a field walk and you're working through a detail and, you know, the last thing the designer wants to do is the contractor, throw them under the bus in front of the client, right? Or say something disparaging. And so, you know, as a contractor, it's important that we're quiet too. And we're listening of what, okay, Lane may have this amazing detail on the fireplace. Here's what she want to achieve. And even if I know that there may be an issue to this, or there could be maybe something combustible or a code issue, whatever it may be, you know, to save that, you know, let the, the design inspiration go. And then we sit aside online and say, well, let's work through this. And, you know, I, it's such good advice because so many of us miss that.
0: That's great. And that's not something I actually had thought about in a while, but I I think when I first started because I had partnered with a builder, um, I really wanted to be like create a team of people that were in service to the client. And so I don't feel like when, I don't feel like when I'm on site that it's me and the client against anyone. I feel very much like, let's all make sure that our priority is to make this the best project we can make for this client. and we'll help each other and support each other and work with each other. And uh, I think that makes everything successful in the long run, for sure.
1: It's that high EQ, as you mentioned, right? That you're yeah. <laughs> <with it. laughs> There you go. So, so how do you, from the social media aspect, cause you know, a big arm of all of our companies is marketing, right? It's lead generation. And although you have a reputation, I'm sure that's grown with the sustainability and some of the products that you're using, you know, word gets around and people that are passionate about that are definitely gonna pick up the phone and contact you. You know, how are you casting that wide net you know, to other people in other markets, other parts of the country to understand a little bit about you and your business?
0: Well, that's a great question. Currently with social media, um, my focus is on Instagram and I am doing all social media right now by myself, but I've recently hired someone who's about to take over a lot of it, especially the uh, furniture line. Um, In addition to that, what we're looking for for the furniture line is uh, which is guild by LMI. What we're looking for are additional representation partnerships. So we have one for California, for Northern California and the region surrounding it with Sloan Miasato. we have Northern California, I'm sorry, Pacific Northwest representation through Eric Waldorf. and now the next level of marketing will be reaching out to try and expand those partnerships to other regions in the country. Our items are still, available to the trade through these other um representations that we have or you know if someone's interested they can contact me and I can help put them in touch with how they can purchase the different pieces of the line but eventually I'd like to have that representation in other parts of the country to whatever trade-only vendors we have I mean we have different work showrooms we're looking at and, and preparing to reach out to and then in addition um press I'm always hopeful that we'll get press
1: which is huge press is so valuable right and social media is just a a great arm to the company so when you mentioned a few of the names that you did in the Pacific Northwest and California so these aren't essentially distributors but these are the custom shops you mentioned that are helping build this stuff and is that what you're looking to expand to have other custom shops that are building you know the furnishings and with some of the materials that you're uh, specifying
0: that's such a great question, Brad. And I'm sorry I just said it as if you would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked for clarification. So um, in the for the industry, there are different ways of purchasing whatever items people need in their homes. And um, in, in the San Francisco Design Center has a bunch of trade-only showrooms. And so they're only open to the trade. And Sloan Miyasato is one of the premier ones here in San Francisco and they represent my furniture line now. And if all purchases of the furniture line go through them, they don't have anything to do with the manufacturing. They're just the showroom and they are a multi-line showroom here, much like um, a lot of different showrooms that are around the country that I'm just drawing a blank on.
1: No, it totally makes sense. So essentially... Yeah, because all markets, I mean, Dallas, Arizona, I mean, all over, you have these design uh, trade only. So you have to be a certified trade. You come in, it's not retail, it's not to the public. And that's where you can come in and they're a representation of Lane McNabb and your product line. And so it's essentially, you know, distribute. they're a showroom that's, that has your furniture they're, uh, You know, they can sell it to, you know, the end user, but that's how you're setting those up and you hope to expand that. Yeah,
0: and I I will say that that was strategic on our point uh, on our the way we approached it. Because, again, knowing that the furniture line is um, a culmination of a lot of quality and authenticity and not to mention the sustainability aspect, our market is is a certain market. And I I wanted the. Basically, the the justification that you get that. by being represented by someone like Sloan Miyasato, it's uh, sort of saying like, yes, this furniture line is a very high quality, you know, they don't, they don't rep just anybody. So it's sort yeah, of, you're
1: partnering with the right people.
0: Right, exactly. And so that's what, uh, that's what we wanted as far as uh, what our target is with this line.
1: And so as a, yeah. And as a business owner, I mean, now you have these two amazing entities. You have the product side, you have the design side, you know, where do you find yourself being pulled more? Is it to one or the other?
0: It's still mostly on the design client side. Um, the firm, uh, we currently have a lot of wonderful, big projects that we're working on and those do require a majority of my time. I have a design team and then I have a product line manager as well, who is helping oversee the line and implement all the many facets of marketing, production, orders, all of that. So I have help, (laughs) but, uh, but it is still probably 75% design clients and 25% product line. But I would say it's fluctuated over time. I mean, there are times where I just go to a mental space of like, okay, I'm going to design the second collection. And then for a week, that's what I'm doing. So yeah.
1: That's incredible. It's so exciting. So you know, I can't thank you enough for making time today, Lane. This has been just an amazing discussion with you about your company, your firm, everything you're doing. So what's upcoming and exciting? You know, and where can our listeners find more about uh, some of the product line you discussed?
0: Oh, thanks so much, Brad. Um, well, you can find me at lanemcnab.com and on Instagram at interiors. And uh, we have Guild by LMI is the furniture line, and that can be found through the Lane McNabb website, through a shop tab. I think we'll eventually get our own website for the furniture line. And on Instagram, it's Guild by LMI. And also for orders and for product information, you can contact me, but you can also go through Sloan Miyasato, and that's Sloan, dot com. And ericwaldorf.com in the Pacific Northwest. And um, interesting, exciting things we have coming up. We are going to launch a second collection of the furniture line in the next couple of months. And uh, hopefully when the Bay Area opens up again, we'll finally get to have our launch party at Sloan Miyasato. Because that didn't happen in September <laughs> like it was supposed to. And uh, we're adding rugs. We're adding lighting. We're adding hardware. So, yeah. Um, you know we're we're diving into the process again to make sure everything is at the standard we want but uh it's it's all coming it's in the pipeline so
1: well this is super exciting so just as backup and we'll have this in our show notes as well so we have both instagrams right you have the furniture line um gilded by lmi and then you also have you know the lane McNabb interiors but then you know from a furniture side so as we want to purchase stuff and if i have clients that you know reach them out then i can put them in touch with sloan Mia Santo and Eric Waldorf and go from there.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Brad. It's so nice to meet you almost in person.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's great to meet you too, Lane. Can't wait to meet in person someday. So thank you so much for making time today. My pleasure. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, They're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.